Welcome to the Wake and Take Podcast. On today's show, we break down the Vikings' win in Lambeau Field over the Green Bay Packers. The defense did just enough, and Dalvin Cook having a feast day with that new and improved offensive line. Not really new, but they were certainly improved. We break down all of the action from Sunday's border battle win. Then we talk gopher football and the terrible loss to Maryland, 44-45 in overtime on Friday night. We break down all the details from that loss from the Gophers. Then we wrap this show with the tales of Ramble and Ricky. Hit it, Zachary. There is a house in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. And it's been a ruin of many a poor boy and God I know I'm one My mother was a tailor She sewed my new Show BG, Randy, Zachary calling in over Zoom this week, uh, and we got BG's mic figured out. BG sounds amazing right now. BG, give us a little uh, little taste of the new audio. Coming in crystal clear with all around sound. Oh, I love it. Let's start with the Vikings. BG stunning the Green Bay Packers 28-22 uh, to get their win, their first win in Lambeau, I think in like four or five years. I didn't actually look up the stat, but we haven't 2017. Won. Okay, so three, four years, four seasons uh, since the Vikings last won in Lambeau Field. Uh, and BG, it was a strange game with the how windy it was and, you know, the Vikings just having such a terrible season up until that point, uh, thinking we're kind of dead going into that game. Uh, and coming out of that game, now I think we're anything but dead. I mean, as long as Dalvin Cook stays healthy, I think looking at the next five weeks for this team and the next five teams they play, the Lions at home, the Bears on the road, Cowboys at home, Panthers at home, and then Jaguars at home. I mean, if you win all five of those games, we're right back in it. And this team is anything but dead, BG. Yeah, we have a legitimate shot um, to get above the 500 mark by three quarters of the way through the season, which I know is a long way from now looking at two and five. And we're just talking about that after winning one game, but I mean, this is a huge win for the Vikings, for the players, obviously, but for upper management, too. Spielman and Zimmer. Um, I know we talked about this the past couple of weeks. I don't think Zimmer's close to the hot seat, but if he was, that seat is now getting colder um, because of this game. But I did not expect us to go in there, and I did the worst thing you could do as a Vikings fan. Pick the Packers and put money on the Packers to win, and then the Vikings win. Mm. So, at Thank the end you. of the day, I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad the Vikings won, but yeah. I'm, I was very surprised. I think that the weird outdoor conditions and the up to 40-mile-per-hour wind gusts that they had definitely favored us, but we still played a very, very good football game and dominated them. So I'm very happy uh, as a Minnesota fan, especially 
when we kind of lose sight of the Gophers game that took place a couple days before. Mm-hmm. But that was a great that was a great game, and we have a very good chance to go 500. I think with the next couple of games that we have, and ultimately be in position for a playoff spot if we keep playing that good, which is a big if with this young team we have. Um, so I think now what we'll be talking about is whether we try to make the playoffs or uh, get that draft pick. Because the worst thing we can do is go eight and eight and then miss the playoffs and draft in the in the mid-teens. So we'll see. But it was a very encouraging Sunday, and I'm really glad uh, that that win came against the Packers. Yeah, it's always good to beat the Packers. And let's bring in the Packers guy now, Randy. What was your reaction to that performance from the Packers and really how Rodgers played on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't – at halftime, I wasn't worried at all. I mean, it was 14-14. There was basically four drives in the entire first half. The Packers got the ball back with, like, 30 seconds left. I mean, that doesn't really, that doesn't really count as a drive. But, I mean, you had, each team had two drives, long, sustained drives of, like, 60, 70 yards and scored touchdowns. And, I mean, I – didn't feel like <laughs> the game was completely out of reach and the Vikings hit the ball, they score. Um, and we get the ball back and, and Aquanamea St. Brown drops those, uh, that third down catch that he should have absolutely caught. Yep. Uh, and then we went for it on fourth and 10, which I love that decision. Like I, um, like I love the fact that LaFleur trusts Rogers to you know, go for it on fourth and 10 when, um, any other coach in the league is probably maybe Andy Reid um, would also go for it, but um, you know, put the ball in your quarterback's hands and say, you know, we're going to win this on offense. Um, and EQ misses a misses another catch, and then you know, Vikings score, and then I, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking we're down two scores, but I mean, we can go down and, and drive, and then our next drive we have a couple holding penalties that just kill us. So, I mean, at the end of the day, the defense is. Um, it's, it's going to be a rough week in the film room for uh, for the Packers. And with, with the coronavirus cases that they've had, uh, it's going to be a lot of Zoom calls. And uh, uh, those DBs especially are going to be getting yelled at. And then everyone on the, on the front seven is going to be yelled at for that, that rush defense. So, yeah, I mean, the big, the, the big question for Packers fans looking forward to tomorrow in the trade deadline is, you know, who do we get on the front seven to, uh, you know, to help the run defense? Because this was the problem for the defense last year. And, hasn't been fixed everyone says wide receiver wide receiver wide receiver i mean we just need do we need someone like a jj watt up front to uh to help that front seven out so yeah i mean i mean it's a loss yeah no go ahead yeah it's a i mean it's a good point i think that what was the most surprising thing that i saw from the vikings offensively was their ability to control the line of scrimmage i mean that one play that kirk was sacked on the play action where i think it was dean lowry who got free um, on the play yep. action and just unblocked sack Kirk. But other than that, he was kept pretty clean all day. And I believe that was the only sack of the day. And the zone blocking on the running inside and outside zone schemes, the offense just dominated the Packers. And Ezra Cleveland had his best game of his young NFL career by far, having some huge blocks on some of those Delvin Cook runs. And anytime your running back has four touchdowns and 200, I think it was 26 yards, uh, you're doing something right offensively, and it was good to see the Minnesota Moving Company uh, have their way with an offense or with a defensive front seven like they did with the Packers. It's been a while since we've seen that kind of domination 
out of the Minnesota Moving Company. And hopefully that's not a mirage, and hopefully that sticks for the next couple of weeks. And if Dalvin Cook stays healthy, I see no reason why the Vikings can't rattle off five in a row here. Zachary, end reaction to uh, the game on Sunday? Uh, that was very fun. Um, got to watch it in a setting where there were more Vikings fans than Packer fans for the first time in a couple of years. Um, maybe not a couple of years, but it seemed like a long time. And so wasn't expecting anything from the game. And really, that's what we have to do watching Minnesota sports these days, just not expect much. And they yeah. get excited when they do well, and that was uh, they did very well, and I was I was super happy to see that. And Cook was just running, running wild. It was really cool to see he had. It was interesting. Brady and I were talking about this. That he said he was the first non-quarterback to score four touchdowns in a game for the Vikings since the seventies. Um, and I, it's amazing to think that AP didn't do it and Randy Moss didn't do. It. We were talking about that. So, or Matt Asiata, yeah. all three of those guys. Asiata. It was also crazy. It was also crazy that there was 50 points scored in the game and only two people did the scoring. Oh, uh, yeah. Cook four touchdowns, Devontae three touchdowns. That's sweet. Yeah, that is an interesting statistic. And, I mean, that's how it was. Andy, you mentioned that first half. I mean, it basically was Vikings or Packers drive takes up half the first quarter. Vikings drive takes up the end of the first quarter. Packer drive, to, I mean, it was two guys basically scoring all the points, like you mentioned. And it was the first half was just long, sustained drives and it was good offensive football and the defense I mean from the Vikings side of things just playing their base cover two cover four all day and just trying to keep everything in front of them and they did a great job copying that defensive game plan from the Bucks that they used to frustrate Rodgers so much like they did two or I think it was two weeks ago no three weeks ago maybe uh, and that worked tremendously well even with all the injuries in the secondary Guys going out, we have something called Josh Metellus playing in the secondary. I didn't even know he was on our team coming into this game. Uh, you know, Harrison Hand and all these guys that, you know, get very little snaps uh, playing against Aaron Rodgers and playing well for the most part. Uh, Jeff Gladney had a couple of breakdowns on Devontae Adams where he gave up outside leverage. But, I mean, you would expect that, and we've seen some of that already from Jeff Gladney. You just hope that he can improve on that, uh, and hopefully those were good teaching opportunities for Zim. But overall, I was very happy with the way the defense played. I mean, Eric Kendricks was all over the field, covering Devontae Adams 50 yards down the field and, you know, taking away the screens all at the same time. I mean, he was electric. Uh, Pro Bowl, all pro really type year for Eric Kendricks uh, in the defense for the Vikings. And then capping it off with the DJ Wanham sack, the Vikings rookie, a big play to end that game, sacking Aaron Rodgers, uh, the strip sack. I mean, that was just ice cream, I mean, whipped cream on an awesome, an awesome Sunday uh, to, beat the Vikings, or to beat the Packers. All right, boys, anything else? didn't get that throw off. Yeah, I know. Anything else Vikings-Packers related? You also had Anthony Harris, you know, thinking that the uh, thinking that you guys had too much, too many players in the secondary and thinking, ah, let's take, let's take one more of them out for the game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Vikings tried so hard to lose that game. I mean, and I was talking to my grandpa. He was watching the game with me. I think the statistic on the number of plays that the Vikings have had, uh, whether it be against Seattle with the fourth and six inches where they don't don't get that first down, and if they do get that first down, the game's over. So I think plays like that uh, where you have one play to win a game, the Vikings have probably had like 25 or 30 of those plays this year and have executed on like almost none of them. I mean, time after time, the Vikings had – 
probably four or five times to win this game earlier on in the fourth quarter and not give Aaron Rodgers a chance. They couldn't do it uh, every single time. Then finally on that last uh, play, they sack Rodgers. But the number of game-winning plays that have gone the way of the opponents this year is dramatic, and you got to change that. They did hope, uh, you know, thankfully on Sunday. Uh, but still, just getting to that point, letting the Packers come back, uh, you can't do that and expect to win a lot of football games. So that is one thing uh, you got to work on moving forward, taking those chances when you get them and then executing. Because we've gone for it on fourth down. We've been aggressive. We've been playing to win football games. Uh, and it's nice to finally get a win when you're playing like that. Boys, anything else? Packers, Vikings. Just feels really good to go in there and uh, beat them in their home stadium. Certainly does. All right, moving on to Gophers, Maryland. Uh, not quite as fun to talk about this one as the Maryland Terrapins knocked off your Golden Gophers 45-44 in overtime after a missed extra point that would have tied the game. And the Gophers, uh, who were 19-point favorites heading into this one, start the season 0-2. And, uh, and BG, it's easy to point the finger at that last game or at that last play and to question maybe the play call itself because I know some people are saying we should have just been going for two in that situation, trying to end the game uh, with a matchup that favors us, our offense against their defense. Uh, but we didn't. We tried to kick the extra point. Obviously, doesn't go our way. But really the issue for me is the fact that the Gophers put themselves in that situation. And they did that a ton last year too. They put themselves in bad situations against bad teams late in the game, and they found a way to win those games last year. So far this year, uh, and on Friday night, they didn't do that, BG. Yeah, I mean, um, back to what you were talking about, about that extra point decision instead of going for two. If I, I was thinking if I was in flex uh, footsteps, uh, I definitely would have gone for two there. But you can't put yourself in that situation. We let Maryland put up 45 points on us. Like, they, should, they put up three points the week before against Northwestern. It's absolutely ridiculous. We should not have been in that situation. It's not, that is not what decided the game. It's how we played. I mean, we let uh, Tiger Valoa uh, throw for almost 400 yards and three touchdowns after week one, throwing three interceptions. Um, we, let a, we let a guy named Jake Funk run for 221 yards on us. They had two receivers go over the 100-yard mark. They just dominated um, us on the offensive side of the football. And we couldn't do anything. Like it was just a horrible game. One of the worst Gophers games in recent history, in program history, for a long time, I think. Um, and it's it's really surprising to see the Gophers play bad two weeks in a row with Fleck under the helm as the head coach. It's just uncharacteristic for a program led by Fleck and with senior leaders on the team or veteran leaders like Tanner Morgan and other guys we have on the offense. But it's, it was a despicable loss. And if you take one takeaway in the optimistic side of things, it's that we also had a running back who scored four touchdowns uh, this past weekend with Ibrahim putting up 207 yards on 41 carries, which is crazy, and four touchdowns. But it was a horrible loss, and thankfully I barely watched any of the game because it was a horrible game, Mm -hmm. as we all know. Yeah, I didn't catch the whole thing either, Uh, but – when you give up 675 yards of total offense to a team that scored three points the week prior uh, to a good Northwestern defense, I'll give them that. But still, I mean, they scored three points last week, and you gave up 675 yards of offense. 
and 45 points, you don't stand much of a chance to win. No matter what you do on offense and special teams, if the defense is that bad, it's hard to win. Uh, and they almost did, and they had a chance to. Uh, like you mentioned, you can't, you know, hindsight is always 20-20. It's hard to go put yourself in flex shoes and say, hey, let's go for two and win this game. But, I mean, I would have liked to see it, obviously looking in hindsight, but it doesn't happen. And you got to ha- have a better performance throughout the day where you don't get to that point. You don't have to go for two uh, because you have no confidence in your defense uh, and your defense's ability to get a stop. So, I mean, something's got to change defensively, whether that's firing your defensive coordinator or just personnel changes or maybe just even getting healthy. Uh, but something's got to change defensively. Yeah, Bill, going off what you were saying about uh, 675 yards of total offense, like, I mean, you could almost think of it as to be in a situation in the Big Ten to even be in overtime, giving up 675 yards. I mean, that's pretty incredible, I think. Um, I mean, that's that's like a Big 12-yard number mm-hmm. or Pac-12 Mike Leach offense. Uh to, to give up 675 yards and have a chance still at the end of the game, um, I mean, yeah, it's pretty at incredible. Least you stayed in it, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I took a screenshot um on on the ESPN app after uh, Tugaviola's touchdown run uh, in the first quarter mm-hmm. to go up 14 nothing, and I took the screenshot because uh, the win probability for Minnesota was still 66. percent I just thought that's uh. And, and, in front of the show, Jack Pulley was sending off a fury of tweets, uh, doing everything from firing the offensive coordinator to defensive coordinator. <laughs> uh, and I just I just laughed because at least ESPN thought the Gophers were still had a chance. But yeah, well, and they, they did, uh, and they scored 31 <laughs> straight. And I would be curious mm-hmm. to see how many teams score 31 points straight and still end up losing the game because uh, that's exactly what happened on Friday night. Uh, and, but, I mean, like you mentioned, any credit to the offense just to keep him in that game, and I think – large part, obviously, to Mo Ibrahim, but also uh, to Chris Ottman-Bell, who's slowly, uh, you know, kind of coming into this role here as the number two receiver. And as Bateman draws double coverage a lot so far, uh, he's almost becoming our number one option. i uh, seen some big catches out of him. He had a touchdown on four catches for 112 yards. Could have been two touchdowns. The other one, he was down at the one-yard line. Uh, so good things offensively from Ottman-Bell. Excited to see his development. Uh, into that number two receiver role uh, after Tyler Johnson left last season. So we we were kind of expecting this from Ottman Bell, but it's good to see it coming to fruition uh, and to see the talent we have offensively with him. And then obviously Rashad Bateman on the other side. Um, also, we saw the green line up and running. Touchdown for Seth Green in overtime. Obviously doesn't, you know, isn't the go-ahead score with the extra point being missed, but fun to see the green line in front of the show. Uh, Seth Green getting in on the end zone on Friday night. Um, fellas, anything else gopher related? That's all I have uh, for gophers. Yeah, I've got two last things. One, you're just talking about the green line and I know I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because this is a hundred percent, 110% uh, not the reason why we lost this game, but I don't understand why you don't go for two there. Um, when your defense is let up 700 yards and you have Seth green who could punch it in, or you have your running back who's averaged five rushing yards, uh, per carry and over 200 yards during the game. You don't just run it for two yards to get that two-point conversion. But nonetheless, we should not have been in that situation. And number two, going back to what we were talking about earlier tonight um, with the NFL and that the Vikings are literally two plays away from being a four-and-three team, it comes down to the very basic football 
thing that good teams win and lose, um, even when they're playing bad. Good teams find a way to win when they play bad. Um, and the Gophers did not show that on Saturday or on, on Friday, I guess. Um, we came back 31 points and then we got shut out in the fourth quarter, 17 points to Maryland to zero points to us. So we come all the way back and then we let the foot off the grass, uh, put off, put off the gas. Um, and if you're a good team, you, you're going to find a way to win the game. Even if you let up 700 yards, even if you're down 30. Um, and I think the first two weeks have shown us that this Gophers team is a lot different than last year's and we may have some rebuilding to do because, it's just embarrassing to, to lose to a Maryland football team uh, when you have the guys on the roster and the head coach that we have. Yeah, certainly is. But credit to Maryland. They played well uh, and obviously did enough to get that win. Let's go through the Big Ten West standings here as Northwestern got a win over Iowa. Uh, I think it was at 2021, Andy? Yep, my, uh, my prediction of not having a, I didn't predict an Iowa record this year, but predicted every game would be within one score, and I'm uh, two for two so far. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Northwestern sitting atop the big, uh, the Big Ten, uh, Big Ten West. Yeah, so they're sitting atop two and zero, tied with Purdue, also at two and zero, and then Wisconsin in the number three spot, one and zero after their game against Northwestern was canceled, and now it's looking like uh, this will be announced later today but it's looking like the game against Purdue this week will also be canceled as now 22 uh, total members of the Wisconsin football team have coronavirus. So trouble maybe in Madison now is two potential games have been postponed, the magic number obviously being eight to get uh, a chance to be eligible for the college football playoff. And those hopes for the Badgers are quickly uh, slipping out the window here as game number two or number three but number two for the Badgers might be postponed as well. Uh, that brings us to Iowa, or I guess we'll go with Nebraska there at 0-1. Uh, I don't know who they play this week, but they'll have their second game now after sitting out and not being able to play last week. They wanted to play Chattanooga, I believe. Big Ten declined that option, would not let them play uh, a game against a non-Big Ten team, so they just had to sit and wait, uh, wait a week, and now they'll get their chance this week at 0-1. And then Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, bottom of the Big Ten West, all at 0-2. Boys, any reactions so far through two weeks of Big Ten football? Ohio State is very good. That is true. Big win (laughs) over Penn State uh, last week. 13 points to cover that spread, and that's a good spot to go in here. Pick segment here, boys. Andy. You and I both went 4-1 and one this week. I missed the Penn State game uh, that I was just talking about within a point. So I was within a point of going 5-0. and oh. Andy, you missed the Packers game, obviously, of Minnesota winning that one. BG, you were 3-1, three, three and one, and I don't know what happened in the San Francisco game. Did you win that one or not? 3-2, and two, yeah. Okay. 49 lost to Seahawks. Okay. 3-2 and two for BG and then Zach coming in. At two and three for the week, Zach missed the Green Bay game, the Ravens, and the Saints. Uh, so Zach, three, two and three, bringing up the bottom one, here. One and four. He picked Ohio State too. Oh uh, really? Ohio State. Ohio State won though. Wait. Oh my bad, my bad. I think. I don't know that, what I was thinking. I think two. Yep. Yeah, I think two and three is right because he had the Raiders yeah, with me bad. as the upset pick, and then he had Ohio State. 
So yeah, that'll that'll uh, wrap up pick segment for this week. We'll be back on Friday uh, with pick segment for next week. Rambling Ricky, you ready to go? The tales of Rambling. Yeah, Ricky? man, I'm ready when you guys are. This one's really cool. Alrighty, let's um, hit it. Cool, um, BG. I know we talked about this a little bit. Um, I'll ever call you BG besides when Brady's in this chat. So Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think we've talked about this one. Um, so it's really, it's more classic rock and roll. Uh, this time I think more people will be familiar with the characters in this one. Um, two of the most influential British musicians who ever lived, um, probably even non-British musicians, George Harrison and Eric Clapton and a girl. It's a love triangle. It's a love story. You gotta Mm -hmm. love that. We gotta bring some love to the way you can take. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is probably one of the most ridiculous stories I've, I've heard and my roommate was telling me about this the other day and it reminded me that I heard about this a while ago but I never looked into the story to see what all was true what was fake because there was a lot of rumors and fellas this is a wild one so let's buckle down yep Um, so if you guys have ever heard the song called Layla by Eric Clapton um, Derek and the Dominoes and if you haven't if you're a listener I would suggest pausing this podcast going to listen to them and coming back because they are unbelievable. And, and Rolling Stone magazine agrees with me, agrees with us. <laughs> it's a 27th greatest song ever made, according to them, oh, wow. uh, ever created. So, But there's two different versions. One is an acoustic version, and one's a hard rock and roll version. Both very cool, both very different in their own. They got their own things going on. Um, but Derek and the Dominoes, which is Eric Clapton's group, uh, and it's crazy. It's really cool. Eric Clapton's the only guy uh, ever to be inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame three different times. And one of them's with Derek and the Dominoes, I believe. And that's so that's one of his groups. Um, mm. So they came out with this in 1970. Um, and they it, it's inspired by a 12th century story called the story of Layla and Maj, Majnun, um, which has to do with a lover of an Arabian princess whose father just arranged a marriage for her and tells her about how it, or it tells about how he drove him to madness. Um, and so this kind of relates to what's going to come here, but little, little was known to anyone, but these three, I should say. So it'd be Eric Clapton, George Harrison, and this girl. Um, and so probably the, probably the most iconic love triangle of all time, because this girl was George Harrison's wife at the time named Patty. Um, and the crazy thing about this, it's just in so many ways I can't explain. Um, she was married to Harrison for 11 years, but they met first in 1964 on a set of a movie. And this girl was the inspiration of the the song called Something by the Beatles. And In My Life, I think they're, uh, oh, In My Life, don't quote me on that. Okay. But something is, and that's known as one of the greatest love songs ever written. Um, and I'll later in the episode, or later here, I won't be talking for too long. Uh, but later, here, I'll tell you the, the other songs she's that were inspired by her. Um, but basically, Clapton and Eric and uh, George Harrison are very good friends. Um, and <laughs> he writes Layla for her in a way to lure or entice her away from George Harrison. His good friend. I mean, I, I've written some songs for my friend's girlfriend's guilty as charged. Um, <laughs> but are you kidding me? Like, that's, that's <laughs> unbelievable to me. So he writes it for her. 
um, which this song has an amazing backstory in itself, which I don't probably have time to get into, but Dwayne Allman, also known as one of the greatest guitar players who ever lived, um, is actually credited with how the song sounds and the riff that goes in the beginning. They played this together, him and Clapton. That can be for another time. Um, so Clapton falls in love with George, George's wife, Patty, um, who at the time had been married for six years to George Harrison. Um, and writes, so he writes one of rock and roll's greatest songs ever for her. And since him and George were pretty good friends, they would see each other pretty often. And so when he writes Layla in 1970, he puts it on a cassette, whatever they had at the time, cassette player, whatnot, plays it for, for Patty. Her name was Patty Boyd, Patty Harrison, whatever you want to call her. And she's absolutely blown away. And he tells, and he tells her, and I want to cite my sources because I think that's a little thing we call plagiarism. So this is according to ABC news. And there's a, also a um, site called Ultimate Guitar, uh, what's it called? UltimateClassicRock.com. So that's, those are from those two sites. Um, he tells her that he would uh, take heroin if she didn't go out with him. And he holds up a bag of heroin, apparently. And the story says, and it's, I shouldn't laugh, but apparently he stuck to his word because he went on a four-year bender and he got really, really into heroin. And he was re- it was a really tough time in his life. But they would still see each other often, but she would never agree to go out with him because they were still married, George, uh, George and Patty were, and she didn't want to break it off. But then, and so yeah, uh, apparently at a party though, uh, George, they saw each other together and George asked, or George saw Clapton and Patty together and, and George was like, hey guys, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in love with your wife. There's no way around. And he tossed them up straight up, but they still remain friends. Well, this is absolutely crazy. Wow. <laughs> So if anyone if anyone knows the history of the Beatles, they'll know that Ringo it's Ringo Starr, John Lennon, George Harrison, and Paul McCartney. So um, in 1974, George has an affair with Ringo Starr's wife, <laughs> wife, which causes Patty to break up. Patty, so George Harrison's wife, to break it off and go after Clapton. And so Clapton and her move in together um, in 19, I think 75 or whatever. And get this. They have a big, huge wedding at, at, a, at a location that apparently Here Comes the Sun was written by Harrison. So Clapton and Patty have this wedding. Harrison is in attendance at the wedding. I had heard stories that he was best man. I, I can't confirm that, um, but I heard a story there. And at the reception, he brings Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr along. And Ringo Starr, and Paul, Harrison had, brought, had cheated on Ringo Starr's wife. Um, they all come along and they jam together. And Elton John... David Bowie and Mick Jagger are also there. That doesn't have anything to do with the story. I think that's just amazing. <laughs> and Clapton and Harrison remained friends until George died in, I think, wow. the 90s. So that's the story I got for you today. Any any right. any thoughts on that, boys? That's incredible. I mean, that's very interesting. I, I don't know if there's ever uh, an instance where two men like that could remain friends, but yeah, good for those two. Yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty remarkable. <laughs> That's incredible. That is simply incredible. BG and Good job, Ricky. Thank you, sir. Did, did the sound quality come through better this time? Yeah, I thought it sounded a lot better. Perfect. 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 Unbelievable. Perfect. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Uh, if you guys want to take a guess quickly, I know maybe cut on time here, but Rolling Stones' top three songs of all time, I was going through, and it was just, it's interesting to look, but we'll try to guess the top three. Okay. Rolling Imagine. That's number three. Okay. Um, uh, by Bob Dylan. 
It's not okay. Let me think. Is WAP on the list? By what do you mean by WAP? Oh, WAP. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that's uh, somewhere around the three (laughs) hundreds. Papa was a Papa was a Rolling Stone. Isn't that Bob Dylan song? uh, Like a Rolling Stone, and yeah, Rolling Stone. That's number one. Okay, number one. Okay. Good deal, dude. Number two, you go for three. Papa was a Rolling Stone was by The Temptations. I think I'm getting that mixed up. Okay, um, number two. Yeah, Andy. Uh, <laughs> I think I think these. I don't know if these are all rock and roll songs. They might be, but uh, I, for one, if I was a voter, I wouldn't vote for them. I'll say that respectfully. Uh, but teach they to each their own, my friend. I don't know. What is this, this by a huge band? Yep. Okay. That's already been named. Uh, it's funny. It's funny that some of these. So Rolling Stone magazine came out with this, and they have a way of getting in their name into these kind of deals. So I'll give you that. Oh, so it's the Stones. Rolling Stones. Um, start me up. Nope. Give me shelter. Nope. Um. Good guesses though. So it's got to be the Rolling Stones. We've established that, right? That is correct. Yeah. What are the Oh, um, what's it called? Um, Moves like Jigger. I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> you got it. Bingo, Andy. Can't get no satisfaction. Hey! Let's go, baby. Satisfaction. I love it. I love it. I don't know if that would be the song by the Stones I would pick, but I wasn't around there in that time, and I'm sure... There's a lot more that goes into it than just how it sounds. And I mean, it's a wonderful song, but I don't think it's their best. But. Yeah. Interesting. That Interesting. is all I have for you, boys. Well, we appreciate that is all it. I have for you. The tales of Ramble and Ricky are off and running. And uh, two, uh, two episodes in. Absolutely gold so far. Keep it up, Zachary. Awesome. I'm glad to hear you like it. Yeah, I, uh, I enjoy doing this just as much as hopefully you guys enjoy listening to them. So awesome. my pleasure. We'll be back later this week with pick segment and preview for next week's game. See you guys all then. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go. So make the best of this test and don't ask why. It's not a question, but a lesson learned in time. It's something unpredictable, but in the end, that's right. I hope you have the time of your life. So take the photographs and still frames in your mind. On a shelf and good up and good times Tattoos of memories and dead skin on trial For what it's worth, it was worth all the while It's something unpredictable, in the end that's right I hope you have the time of your life
unpredictable In the end that's right I hope you have the time of your life It's something unpredictable In the end that's right I hope you have the time of your life